When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever the case may be, wherever you're watching this live stream from. Thank you all very much for tuning in to another, another episode of Carnage. Um, a special, special Carnage tonight, dedicated to a topic that's been on the tip, topic that's been on the tip of everyone's tongue, I guess, uh, since the story broke, I guess this week, wasn't it, lads? I think it is my memories. Yeah, my memories, memories like a sieve these days. So I thought, why not? Let's um, let's gather some friends, I'd like to call them first, and then, and then speak on it. Um, and of course, I've got some of the most wonderful friends and wonderful people to speak on this topic. Uh, Kev, hope you're doing very well, my friend. Yeah, I'm doing great. And... Uh... Pleasure to be here again. It's a show that deserved uh, a topic, sorry, that deserved a special show. I'm really looking forward to this breakdown, all things FSG, all things possible change in future and understand reasons why and get different takes. So I hope this is going to be really informative and it's going to be very interesting. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, the key word that you said there was enjoy. And the second most key word was informative. And I don't think I could have got hold of friends that are more informed than the two I've got on today. Um, I think uh, third appearance, no, second appearance from old Chatra. Um, but I'm loving the familiarity that he's got with my, even second and third, I'm, I'm honored to have him second, third time round. Mo, I know, Mo, so, okay. So before we go any further, <laughs> We've been trying to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now we're going to do it because let people know when it, otherwise they're going to say, Why are you calling him, you know, XYZ? Of course, it's a tale of two moles, as you can see, or three, <laughs> because the king, but the king, I couldn't get hold of the king today, so I've got the two paupers, <laughs> all right? The, um, so I've got, I've got, I've got uh, Mo Chatter in the building. Uh, thank you very much for Mo for coming on today. Hope you're very well. Yeah, very good, my brother. Very good. Excellent, excellent. And of course, of course, I know he's been busy. Uh, very hard to get hold of him these days, but I've finally, <laughs> finally managed to get hold of Mighty Mo himself as well. Mo, hope you're doing very well. You're looking mighty fine. Hope you're doing very well as well. I am, man. I'm, I'm really well, and I'm looking forward to a fantastic World Cup final on Sunday. By the way, don't think oh, I wasn't going to mention that. Don't oh, think I wasn't going to mention that. I tell you what, I tell you what, you know, I've been getting told off and saying, Grizz, how can you not be talking about the World Cup final? 
you know, your, your motherland and the, and the country that you reside in, you're, you know, it's like, what is going on? I said, look, I, I'm in a win-win situation, guys. I'm sorry. I'm shameless like that. <laughs> come, come Sunday, I've either got my England top on or I've got my Pakistan top on. And no one can tell me otherwise. I mean, Mo, your thoughts very briefly on the amazing T20 World Cup that's going on in Australia. It's been a fantastic tournament the whole way through. I've watched it since the prelims. I, lo I love cricket, as you know, but it's been a really good tournament. I, I'm i a little bit on the fence with your stance on the win-win the because it's also a lose-lose, don't forget. And like, Go on. And like the fallout and on Twitter in particular, whoever loses got me brutal. Like I remember 2016 when it was England against the West Indies. I thought that was the win-win, and the way it went down turned out it was the win-win. So if one team gets hammered, it's going to be tough for you, man. It is going to be tough, but listen, it is what it is. I try not to get it too. too I try not to get too consumed. And in a way, Mo, see, I was. I wanted Pakistan India for the spectacle. Yeah. There's no bigger spectacle in 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 especially in cricket there's no bigger sport but possibly in 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 sport. It's like can you imagine an MCG packed out World Cup final Pakistan India. It would have been just as I said a speckling and a half. But I don't think I could have taken the pressure. Is that <laughs> fair? Well, what yeah. would you have been? Uh, you know, I've been keeping quiet the last couple of minutes. I know. <laughs> I'm Let of, the people I'm know. Of, <laughs> I'm of Indian descent, so I've got to keep a little bit quiet because we had a bit of a humbling. But that said, I'm a bit like you, Grizz. I wear a 50-50 shirt as well. So on the other hand, I was delighted that England are through to the final. So uh, clearly my allegiances are with a team in white come Sunday. So uh, there you go. No, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> It's been amazing. And of course, uh, on a serious note, wish both both Pakistan and England equal amount of luck. As I said, I'm in a win-win situation. Kev, I know you're not big on cricket, but... Um... Oh, that's an understatement, Grizz. What <laughs> you've just said for the <laughs> past five minutes, I'm just saying, smiling, I've got a clue what you're going on about. I heard, I heard half and half and changing alliances. And I thought, I'm not sure if I should be around this guy. <laughs> shameless, mate. Absolutely shameless. <laughs> but one thing we're not half and half about and I think it's fair to say one thing we're not um, um, sort of any sign of disloyalty or anything is Liverpool Football Club and Cav obviously <sighs> amongst this crazy season that we've had a start to the crazy season and as if we haven't got enough talking points in terms of the Jurgen Klopp deal that was signed in April, the Mohamed Salah extension, the, 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 the ground expansion, the start of the season, the, the World Cup in the middle of the season, the injury situation, so much talking points. Yet I think it's fair to say all of that has been blown to oblivion in, in, with the news uh, that we received. Was it Monday, guys? Was it Monday morning Monday. that the David Ornstein article came out? which suggested, or I guess pretty much said, that Liverpool Football Club is open to a sale. Um, I think it's fair to say this ain't a small topic, is it? <laughs> no, you can't, you can't downplay this, this topic. Life as a football fan, it's um, 
should come with a health warning because there's so many highs and lows and they hit you so fast. Um, and yeah, we had a disappointing start to the season in some respects, certainly in the league. Um, Champions League is a bit brighter. And I don't know about you guys, but I was feeling a little bit drained with the start to the season. And I was thinking, just get to this World Cup, re-energise and we go again in the new year or, or just before the new year. And then this hits us and then it's like, OK, OK, this is big. We've got to discuss this. This might this might take a bit of time. And um, yeah, we can't we can't overlook it, obviously. But the, the thing is, it's not just um, a huge change. It's the, all the spin-offs and opinions and trying to create a, a situation in an environment where people's thoughts can come together. Because if you go online and you hear people's opinions, there's some wild takes, there's some really opposing opinions and the world just becomes a bit, you know, a bit crazy. So um, hopefully tonight we're going to shed some light on some on some uh, truths or at least what we think is true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Exactly. Um, I think you're you're right in terms of the hot takes and the wild takes. But what annoys me the most is the the polarizing takes. Um, the you know it's it's crazy, isn't it, on on social media right now? And mostly, I don't think we can. I, I mean, some people may want to think of this as a because some people may th want to think of this as a just okay. Let's see what happens. It's nothing is definitive. There's nothing. Uh, actually happened i tend to think of this as one of the recent times most interesting things it's not every day that an institution like liverpool football club is pretty much up for either huge investment or for sale this is massive mo it totally is it's the biggest story involving Liverpool Football Club, um, arguably since the arrival of Jurgen Klopp seven years ago, possibly even bigger than that. Um, so it has huge ramifications for the future direction of the club. Now, obviously, this week, um, FSG have come out and outright said the club is for sale. Um, so let, let's be clear about that. Yeah. Um, but they have noted that, you know, there is interest and have also noted that there's regularly been interest over... Um, however many years. Now, where it, it gets interesting is that a lot of discussion is taking place about why. And, and obviously, we'll come on to that a bit later on. Um, but, you know, with, with things like this, you know, decisions are not taken easily and lightly. You know, there's a lot of thought, a lot of discussion. What came out on Monday was not something that may have happened um, on a whim over a, a couple of days or over the weekend, there would have been a build-up to this. Various factors. Going back even to last year, you know, like the Super League, we knew that FSG were very much involved in that. And, you know, that was met with a massive furore, a lot of backlash from all quarters and uh, resulted in John W. Henry coming out with a public apology. And then we've seen Chelsea Football Club a distressed asset sell for a figure that most people were not expecting and the level of interest in that club and the amount of people that wanted to buy that club uh, was a big surprise and again FSG would have taken notice of that um, and I'll explain other factors as well later on um, but you know th there is no doubt in the fact that it is enormous and 
you know, if a full sale is to occur, um, you know, this stuff you touched upon a moment ago about, you know, polarizing views and all that could really, really be ramped up depending on who takes over. Um, if it's people like FSG, then there'll be furore from the noisy section of the fan base that are always unhappy with the current ownership. Yeah. If there's a very different type of owners coming in, um, perhaps who are similar to those at City or Newcastle, then that will result in a very different kind of backlash and furore from other quarters. So I think no matter what happens, other than... Um, perhaps that perfect owner, which maybe doesn't exist, there will be a lot of upset and anger. Um, mm. So I, I think it's going to be one of these difficult ones. And let, let's just hope that ultimately fans don't get too overly precious about certain things and fall out too greatly. Because look, we're all wanting the same thing. We all want this club to be successful, but we have to have some perspective around all of this as well. Yeah. Look, perspective, you know, it's it's always good to have a bit of perspective and rational, logical thinking. But Mo, before we get into sort of, you know, FSG's tenure, mm -hmm. uh, what did you make of Jurgen Klopp's sort of after-match, post-match comments? Did they change anything in your mindset from before that? So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we heard all the rumblings and we read the Austin mm. piece and everything else that was said around it, sort of the reliable journalists. And then Jurgen Klopp's comments after press conference, did it, did it change your mind or opinion or what you thought in any way, shape or form? Or did you expect him to say what he said? No, not really. I think mm -hmm. it was what I expected to hear from him in terms of he's always been someone who favours stability. So he yeah. would have seen this as a reason for people to doubt the stability of the club. We'll see, see this as a reason to create more problems for within his squad. And right now he doesn't need any more of those. So he's like, look, regardless of all the things I can't control, I'm telling you now, I'm here. I've signed the deal, I'm here. And to be honest, he's always seemed to be the kind of person for whom he signs a deal, he's going to be there. And the question comes, if, as Mo was talking about, there are other kinds of owners who maybe aren't aligned with what he uh, believes. And we've seen him be very strong on certain subjects over the course of the last few weeks and pretty much his entire tenure as a manager. So that becomes a more live question in that scenario. But I think the message he was trying to put out is, is that as far as he's concerned, nothing so far has changed. And it was interesting to me to see the difference between the people who are within the club and employed by the club, because Pep Blinders used the same line, we were talking about investment over sale. And that says to me that, at least outwardly, that seems to still be plan A, which is kind of understandable. But I think Mo hit the nail on the head there where he talked about the price at Chelsea. I think when you have owners as FSG, the game plan was always going to be to not be there forever to find a way to the, the way that they were making their money was not on taking it out of the club as they go along. It's in the sale. It's in the, we're going to bring it from this to that. There you go. Thanks and have a lot. And there was always going to be a time when that comes up and you look at the price this stuff's going for now, because it's not just here. These owners have to consider all of their sports clubs in all of the countries. And if you look all across 
um, sports. There are lots of clubs up for sale in lots of big leagues. And so there's lots of people putting together consortiums to buy clubs. And they may not all get the one they want, but they're all putting together packages. So if there was ever a time to think, okay, this might not have been when we were planning to get out, but this might still be the best time, then this is why I feel like this has come public. So anyone who was considering it or maybe thinking about it can now make themselves known. It's interesting, isn't it? Because it comes, Kev, in the year or I guess just preceding months to Jurgen Klopp signing that extension. And this is what I was thinking today. How interesting is this? And I was trying to work out I was trying to work out sort of, and it's amazing where we can have a chat about it and get our different opinions and perspectives on it. Because this ain't going to be a show where we, Mo C thinks he's got an answer or Mighty Mo thinks he's right or Cav thinks he's right. It's a chance to have a normal chat like we were sitting around in a cafe and actually discuss the things. And you know, one of the things, guys, that I thought of today was, Kev, and I'll get your opinion, Cav, first. Mm. When when that conversation took place with John Henry, Ver, Tom Werner, Mike Gordon, whoever well, it must have been, they all must have been involved. Do you think this topic would have been discussed? This was what I was thinking, guys, and I don't, and I have no idea, include if it was or it wasn't, because it is very interesting. Because Jurgen Klopp, like Mighty Mo says, is the key to it all. Yes, we can discuss the type of owner that we're looking to get in or who's right for the club and everything else. What we unanimously, I, I think, I think, what we unanimously agree is Jurgen Klopp is the right man for Liverpool Football Club. And it was so vital and it was so relieving. And we all, you know, saw a massive sigh of relief when he said, regardless of whatever happens, I'm committed to the club. But I'm just intrigued at what kind of conversation that must have that must have, you know, took place when 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 he was extending or in the talks. Mm. What do you think? Well, first and foremost, I just feel so lucky that we have Klopp in charge during this time because not only is he a great football manager, but he's a great man, and he understands his responsibility as as the front of Liverpool and as the line of communication between everything that's going on on a high level and as fans and he carries himself and says the things that often put a lot of us at ease you know certainly by him coming out and saying I'm committed to this club regardless that that really just settles a few nerves and we oh can, yeah we don't Huge. need to worry about that now we can there's plenty of other things that maybe people have concerns with um but there must have been a conversation in some capacity when he signed that contract because the guy isn't silly. If he's signing here to stay for a number of years, he understands the landscape of football. He, he's not, you know, naive to a potential sale or change of ownership and so. So that conversation must have happened in some capacity. But if you look at the terminology that both himself and Linda's use, it's that FSG are committed to doing the right thing for Liverpool. And I think that's I think that's the way the conversation would have gone between FSG and him. It's it's maybe we will explore these opportunities as we always do, but rest assured, Jurgen, whatever decision we we make, we will make you aware as early as possible, and we will make a decision that's in the best interest of the club. And I think for a man like Jurgen, who really cares about our club now and our people, that may be an, enough for him to go, okay. I'm not silly. 
the club might sell in the future that if they were to sell, these are the potential buyers. But you know what? I love this club. It's the right place for me to be at this moment in my career. And knowing that the owners, if they were to move on, have assured me they'll do it in the best way that they possibly can, um, then I think that would have been enough for, for him to stay. Wherever, you know, if he wasn't at Liverpool and he was at another club, Changes of ownership do happen, not very often, don't get me wrong, but they will happen during a, man, a manager's tenure. So it's how it's how you deal with it and the information you release and how much they tell him and involve him and stuff. And, and I think to an extent there's been a really good working relationship between FSG and Klopp. And so that's been enough for him. You know, he might not like the change personally, but I don't think you'll ever find that out because he will always say the right things to just... First and foremost, keep his fans happy. And that's what I'm really grateful for, to be honest. Cav mentions, Mighty Mo, the working relationship. Mm -hmm. And that overall in the tenure that sort of of Klopp and FSG, we won't go back sort of, okay, we will, maybe we may go back to FSG, but, but that is so vital. And it's overall, it's fair to say that the working relationship has been excellent. Mm -hmm. um, there has been strains which relationship isn't there any strains in? Do you know what I mean? In in in, term, in every form of life, in every type of relationship, but but overall, it's fair to say that that was vital, and we don't reach the levels that we have reached without if that wasn't the case, right? Oh, one hundred percent. I think the beauty of the relationship with FSG by the point that Klopp came in and Klopp himself is that they're both the kind of people who are willing to acquiesce to someone else with greater knowledge in a certain area. So neither of them are the people who feel like they have to be the one to make all the decisions about everything. It's a very much a collaborative effort. And the collaboration between those two, uh, particularly Mike Gordon and Klopp, but then you bring in obviously Michael Edwards and Julian Ward in the, into there as well. That team, along with Klopp and his coaching staff, that they've all been very important to bringing it together. And it's the fact that they've all been, even at times when they've probably been at odds internally, they've all broadly been on the same page. And that kind of clear thinking is what's helped Liverpool to get to where they are. And it's the kind of thing that other teams are missing at the moment who are trying to get there. But it is a very delicate ecosystem because when you are relying on a group of maybe four, five, six, seven people to all get along and all be on the same page, it only takes changing one out and one in for the dynamic to shift a little bit. And I think we really saw how important that working relationship is when it came to Klopp's extension, because it kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? It wasn't like a long protracted thing. It was just like, Mike Gordon was like, do you want to stay? Yeah, why not? I trust you. You trust me? Yep, done. Boom. And... Yeah, that, that's another thing that we'll probably have taken for granted in the grand scheme of things, how much has been uh, been able to achieve by the, the strength of that relationship. So he's definitely going to be, as Cav said, he's definitely going to be asking questions of them of how long they're going to stay and what the future of the club will look like. The interesting part in all of this for me, and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun talking about this, if the if FSG are committed to the idea of a sale. Someone brings in an offer that's too good to refuse. Are they selling the whole thing or are they going to try to retain a little something, a little piece on their own, just in case it does start to grow exponentially? Because if they do, that's when they're going to have a lot more um, desire to choose the right person to come in. 
because they can say all the right things, but if there's no longer their business, they don't really need to kick to them. Yeah, you you you've not jumped the gun. You've you've sort of you've loaded it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Mo C in that case and say, look, okay. But I'm actually I'm gonna go to you pre-clop. So pre-clop, I think you're the perfect man to ask. FSG, see Liverpool is in dire straits. Let's call a spade a spade. Um, from what they bought us for, because essentially they are businessmen, investors. Let's get it right. I, I think they've been hugely successful from the investment side of things because they bought us for 300 million, Mo, am I right? Correct. And now we are worth, and you're going to tell us what we're worth right now. So from just a business point of view, just an investment fund point of view, we have we ripped in terms of, in terms of what they wanted initially? What was their aims and hopes and desires when they took over, basically, what I'm asking you? I'm sorry. So when they bought us, what was their hopes and desires, in your opinion? And has that sort of fulfilled? Have their desires been fulfilled? Okay, well, one of the things that's absolutely clear, and it's there in black and white, it's on record, is that they bought the club as an investment. So, um, you know, they, they buy it because they were lifelong fans of Liverpool Football Club and they supported the club from afar. You know, it wasn't that type of story. You know, they saw an opportunity. They saw a club that was on its knees, um, that if anything uh, was available for a cut-down price because of the state in which Hicks and Gillette, Gillette left it in, um, in 2010 when World Bank of Scotland were after Hicks and Gillette saying, right, we want you to pay up now. You took out a loan to buy this club and you committed to pay now. So we want the money now. If you don't pay the money now, um, then uh, th there will be repercussions. And the club's um, situation was pretty dire at that pretty point dire. in time. So yeah. is it fair to say, because let's, let's try to bust a few myths as we go along. So one of the myths some people take offence to, right, sometimes. It's true, though. I'm laughing, but because that's, look, this is how I would be talking to you guys if I was sitting with you. Like, how do some people take offence to, to saying they saved us or they didn't save us? It was, we. there can be a, a middle ground, right, Mo? Yeah, I mean, in, in one sense, you know, they came in when we were in a really, really difficult position. Uh, <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, there were, there were certain fans, you know, in the city of Liverpool, who were very close to what was going on at the time, who were campaigning to get, um, you know, those owners out, who were saying, well, look, you know, the reality was, was that, would the club still have survived, even if um, Hicks and Gillette um, may have sold it under their own terms? Uh, yes, yes, um, potentially. So, you know, th there are different views about exactly what would have happened to Liverpool Football Club had the sale not happened when it happened in October 2010. Um, and I, I, I don't think there would have been a danger that the club would have just disappeared. It was just too big. Yeah, I mean, that's fair to say as well. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I mean about a middle ground. Look, yeah. they didn't save us from extinction, uh, you know, and neither did they sort of, um, or the opposite of that, right? There is mm -hmm. a middle ground. It was convenient at the time for yeah. everyone and they made it work more than anyone else at the time. 
Yeah, they came in. I mean, there were other people that could have come in um, if they were interested in buying the club and they didn't come forward. Yeah. Um, these guys did. You know, there were a couple of other parties as well. Um, but those that were involved in making the decision um, in terms of who would succeed Hicks and Gillette um, felt that FSG were the right people. And, you know, time has proven in the 12 years since they arrived that they've got so much right. You know, they restored us back to being a European superpower. You know, they have redeveloped Anfield and, you know, at the start of next season, it will be 61,000 plus and will be just an amazing atmosphere within that ground. Um, they've done a great job of um, taking us to a fantastic state-of-the-art facility at Kirby. Um, they've made inspired appointments. You know, Jurgen Klopp was a bit of a no-brainer. He was already at that point somebody very, very sought after. But an amazing appointment in Michael Edwards as sporting director. You know, he was just seen as a bit of a laptop geek. Even I dismissed him and thought, oh, well, you know, one thing number crunching in the background, another thing sitting face-to-face uh, -face with George Mendes in trying to negotiate a deal. And I thought, no, this guy doesn't seem to have the gravitas to pull that off. And he did. He did. Um, and I thought some of his work, especially 2016 to 2018, was fantastic. And, and that... It will also... go down It will go down in the folklore of Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it really will, guys. It will yeah. go down in the folklore history, like epic. That period, as you said, the appointments were key in progressing FSG's ownership model, right? Because yeah. we know they got it wrong plenty of times in their opening five, six years, would you say, guys? The opening yeah. five, six years was riddled with the wrong appointments, with the wrong decisions, with the wrong decision makers being implemented. And But they were honest enough, I think, it's fair to say, they were honest enough to say, we've made mistakes, we're effing up here. But we're, we're kind of learning on the job and we had to bear it. We had no other choice, did we? I, I guess Mode or Cav, we didn't have much no. choice, did we, at the time? One thing I will say about some of those earlier choices, like the stuff when, when for example, when Kenny was in and all of the money was spent on um, Carol and Adam and Downing and Henderson and how badly that initially went. And you'd look at that at, at the time and you were thinking... Everyone was thinking that that was going to be working well, with the probable exception of Carroll. Everyone else thought that all of those were going to be good signings, young English players. You could see the plan, etc., etc. It didn't turn out that way. Obviously, it did still give us Jordan Henderson. But then you look at Brendan Rodgers once again. If you are, if you'd have said at the time he came in that that team would potentially nearly win the Premier League, everyone would have been like, "Oh, okay, let's see how that goes." It was not what I was expecting when he arrived at all. So even those bad decisions, you can kind of understand how they came to them, even mm. though they didn't go well. And importantly, they knew when to pull the plug. <laughs> yeah. in a And as we'll get into in a lot of things, Cav, right? Because no ownership model is perfect. We've seen it through... How many new ownership models have we seen emerge in the last 10 years, right? And we've, we can all pick out flaws and issues with all of them. You know, some some would need a, a you know, it's like finding a needle in a haystack. Uh, some clubs, but you can still, yeah, we know. So the point was, they were making mistakes, but they were learning from their mistakes. Was that keeping you sort of sane, like in terms of eventually we'll get it right, hopefully? And obviously, 
as soon as we hire Klopp, that's the turning point in kind of their sort of fate and our fate as well, right? Because that's the key decision, along with Edwards, as, as Mosey says. Yeah, Klopp, Klopp really was a massive turning point uh, in the club's success. Um, but I think what's fair to say is that, yes, there were new owners. Yes, they were learning on the job. But <clears throat> whether it be for their own personal gain or whether it because they generally wanted to appease the fans, which I'm not sure I true that is but um they wanted what was best for the club and every decision they made was with the intent of growing the club and the business and so yes they made mistakes along the way because they don't have experience in managing a football club but i liked that they were bringing sometimes some um unexpected ideas you know, and some worked and some didn't. Some got real bad backlash and a lot of people still use them as a stick to kind of beat them with and to dislike them with. But the intent was always to grow the club, you know, and always make us bigger. And the evidence is there, you know, they've achieved that. Um, but club, uh, Klopp, sorry, was a massive um, turning point in the success. And you say it's an obvious appointment, but sometimes, you know, the answers are staring you right in the face. And it's a mistake if you miss them, missing you know, getting Edwards in, getting Klopp in, you know, deciding to expand the stadium. Yes, they, they all make sense. But sometimes the simplest things to do in business are, are some of the most successful things that you can re reap the rewards from. So I, I, I've always, um, without giving away what side of the fence I'm on, I've always been along with um, FSG because I've always seen that what, what they were trying to do. And that it wasn't just to come into this club and just try and make money out of us and milkers. And we as fans and as as um, success on the pitch was was secondary. Actually, it all worked in, in parallel. On, on and off the pitch, we were building and we were getting success. So I, I was I was happy throughout there, yeah. It's, it's important, isn't it, that they do work uh, sort of hand in hand because, Mo, I... I think you have done some amazing threads in the last year or so on the whole situation in terms of uh, in terms of how much value they've brought on and off the pitch. So I was wondering if you can fill us in with some of those facts, because these are facts and figures in terms of what kind of value they've brought to the club. And it's beneficial for them and it's beneficial for the team. So in terms of so 300 million, how much are we valued at right now, for example, Mo? And, and why are we valued at that much now? Yeah, so, right. Obviously, a lot of factors involved in evaluation of the club. And ultimately, a club is worth what somebody's willing to pay. So, right. We know that, like, I'll reference it again, the Chelsea sale was for 2.5 billion. Surprised a lot of people. It was a forced sale. Abramovich had to sell. Um, and it was a government-led for sale. Yeah, uh, People didn't expect um, that value to be achieved, but it was achieved. And the level of interest was a real eye-opener. But we know Chelsea Football Club are not of the standing of the prestige. They don't have, to quote Jose Mourinho, the uh, heritage, heritage of Liverpool Football Club. So, you know, there, there's those factors at play. Also, Liverpool Football Club now are generating more money than all but a small handful of football clubs in the world. My estimate is that the uh, turnover for last season would have been um, minimum £580 million. Man United's turnover, their accounts was um, published only a few weeks ago, 583 So Liverpool Football Club's turnover has now caught up. And if 
it might have even exceeded United's turnover last season. Um, if you compare it to, say, even five or six years ago, United's turnover was about 80% higher than Liverpool. So it's a massive closing of the gap under the auspices of FSG. And by the way, you know, I, I'm somebody that tries to take a bit of a balanced view on FSG. I will praise them for things that they've done and have said it on, on, on this very show. Um, but what, I've also leveled some criticism at them as well. And, you know, I felt personally that they could have invested more in the club. One of the things that they are open about is to say we will not invest our own money into the club, which is something that the vast majority of football club owners do and will do and have always done um, when it comes to football. Football is not something you go into to make money. It's something that you do as a passion um, or you look to make money in other ways. And like um, um, Mighty Mo said earlier on, um, FSG's approach has been invest, make the asset juicier, plumper and more attractive and then make your money at the end when you eventually sell it. And, and that, in my view, has been the FSG plan. And I think they've done a fantastic job. And in answer to your question, I think the club is worth a minimum of $3 billion, But I think ideally they'd be looking for $4 billion. Um, And, you know, if, if there's enough interest out there, then... Why not? I mean, I, I, th I think it's possible. I, I would still speculate that if it does go for a full sale, um, it probably won't hit quite four billion. Um, but again, it's it's up to whoever wants to pay, put an offer down. And if they're that keen on acquiring the club, and if they think there is still further growth in the revenue streams of the club in the years to come, then they might think right, four billion now is a great investment because ten, fifteen years from now, that club might be worth ten or twelve billion. Mm -hmm. Mm. Uh, people are sort of uh, letting us know the score in a Carabao Cup game at Old Trafford between Man United and Villa. Uh, thanks, but I don't know about these guys. Honestly, it's so far from my mind. I couldn't give a rat's ass of that. That scum over there, like playing in a Thursday no, night, well, like this, like they're cursed to play on a Thursday night, even in the League Cup. <laughs> I would, I would love to say the same. Unfortunately, I'm writing about that same scam, so I am. Oh, you never stop working, yeah, you. You're this is weird. You never stop working. I know, yeah, you're just a workaholic. I get it. I understand. But um, I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a good evening, as many people are saying. Guys, by the way, there's over 350 of you in here. Uh, if you could like the stream, that'd be amazing. Uh, it's not often I can have the pleasure of having some of the panelists I've got on today. So I'd really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, look, Mo, Mo's talked about sort of some of the, uh, Mo's he's talked about some of the, the stuff that they've done. And of course, as a fan base, it's so difficult to, to sort of look beyond what they've done and to see what they're not doing. Yes. So this is the point I want to get to now because it's relevant now. In your opinion, in your opinion, my team, what is it? What has caused this, this thinking? Why? Why now? Why now? Why 12-year anniversary? Is it literally like you guys have suggested maybe that it's the sale of Chelsea or other clubs and sort of the, they've seen the valuations being banded about? Or is it a confession of... We've, we can't do any more. We've done what we can. We've done what we've can. Uh, we've taken you guys where we can take you. And now maybe it's time to step aside. Which, wh where do you sit on this sort of debate? Um, 
I don't necessarily think it's either or on that mm-hmm. one. I think they could be a mix of both. Um, in terms of whether they think that they can take us further, it is an interesting one because you have to look at, at like Rose mentioned, some of the other things that they've tried to do because we mentioned the European Super League. There was also that Project Big Picture thing that John Henry pretty much started off his own back and didn't really get anywhere else. So they're constantly trying to find ways to make up the shortfall to the state-owned clubs outside of, as Mo mentioned, putting their own money in because that's just not their model. So they've been I, honest with that, though, haven't they, guys? Yeah, they have. And they've, 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 they're not. De- they haven't deceived us. They haven't been deceptive in terms of this is the plan, and then they've swayed away from it. As as Mosi says, they they always said this is our model, and they've stuck to it. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's weird because it's almost like they've um, the most important thing for them is not having bad deals, bad transfers that go wrong. So if that means having not enough, then they'll take that over having ones that go bad, which, I mean, probably not one that most fans would always agree with at times and probably one that has led them into a bit of trouble, particularly where we are right now. But again, within the context of what they've always done and how successful they've been, it makes sense within their world. Where we are now in terms of why they're looking at it, I think a lot is going to be revealed over the course of the next few months as we begin to see the colour of some other people's money and how serious some other investors are. Because there's obviously the the limited partner um, route, which lots of clubs seem to be going down, where someone buys a stake in the club. It's not necessarily a controlling stake, but then over time it allows them to kind of build greater stakes. And you can almost see a world where rather than someone just being completely selling the club, there's almost just like a phasing in and a phasing out. I don't know... I feel I feel like for them, in terms of a stability of a football club, that might be a bit more appealing. Although it, it never really tends to work that way. Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. never really get that simple. But again, I don't think we'll know for sure why now until we see what comes next. Can I just add a couple of things to that as well, if I may? Um, so, so there are um, one or two areas that it is known that FSG are looking to invest in, okay? One of these is an NBA franchise. Um, now, one of the partners, one of the best-known partners within FSG um, is LeBron James. And he's gone on record and saying, I would love to, at some point, own an NBA team. And it's known that um, I think there are plans for an NBA franchise to be established in Las Vegas. So FSG have been linked to that, and that will need serious dough. On top of that, um, one of the other big projects that FSG have been involved in in Boston is something called Fenway Corners. And this is a massive 2 million um, square foot uh, development. And this, sorry, 2 million square meter development of retail space, um, office space, um, property. It's going to cost billions. Um, FSG are part of this to redevelop an area outside of Fenway Park. It's a substantial area and um, that that will require significant sums of money. Now, I, before Monday, and obviously it went public on Monday, um, had had people mentioning something to me about 
FSG looking to raise money. This was several weeks before all of this stuff broke this week. Um, so it, it, there has been some word out there that FSG have been looking to raise money for these two um, uh, uh, potential investment areas. And then just, I think, in the last day or two, um, FSG have been linked with an NFL franchise, um, Washington something or other. Commanders. Commanders, go, Washington yeah. Commanders. Exactly. So, yeah, three different investment opportunities, no less. Um, one of which um, is definitely a fact, which is Fenway Corners, and the other two um, FSG have been very strongly linked with. So, um, you know, if they are looking to raise money, what better way than to sell um, one of their big assets and an asset that, let's be frank, they don't quite have the emotional attachment to compared to the Red Sox because, you know, these people are Boston-based and the Red Sox uh, means more to them. And I think they're pretty much low to sell that. Whereas with Liverpool Football Club, it was always bought in the investment. It was always going to be sold at some point. And yeah. maybe they feel, right, if we sell this now, we can then invest in these other things that we're really keen to deliver. Kev, that kind of weighs up, right? That If, if the way Mosey's explained that, sort of the whole backstory to it and sort of their time and how much they bought it for, it all kind of sort of ends up with them in the situation that they've now that we know now that either they're looking for huge investment to again like you said earlier to propel us even further or help us even further uh, mm -hmm. in terms of investment in terms of on the pitch investment because as far as i know guys and feel free to correct me if i'm wrong it seems like they've done as much as they can off the pitch in terms of training ground facility, in terms of commercial commercial deals, sponsorship deals, in terms of everything else seems to be intact and on route, there's nothing more they can do. The clamor, the clamor from the majority, vast majority of the fan base is on the pitch investment. And this is where we're going to come to now. I think this is where Mo's uh, sort of said before that they they unwilling to invest their own money what the club sort of makes they're willing to invest. And that comes to the to the point where we are now, that where they possibly thought they don't want to do it or they're not in a position to do it, Cav. And this is what sways the, the perception of the fans, right? Yeah, and also why would they? Because they've proved that um, by building a sustainable model whereby you invest back into the club what the club makes, that they can put together a good team that competes for major honours and mm -hmm. all the honours possible. Um, so there's, there's proof that that is achievable, although difficult and probably not very frequent that you can do that. Um, and we've spoke before about, you know, a lot of fans, I think, have really understood and appreciated the growth of the club off the pitch and on it. But on it, it needs a bit of investment. And investment now, and as time goes on, is in the form of very, very expensive players. You know, we're not talking 30, 40 million now. We're talking at this level, closer to 80, 90, 100 million pound more. And that is a sole investment and especially into a player can be very risky. You know, if uh, I'm not going to mention names, but if we sign a midfielder for around the 80, 90 million pound mark, that's a big investment that can quite easily go wrong, you know, and you might not recoup that money. And if you do two or three of them deals that go wrong, suddenly you go from a really successful 
and uh, a growing business and in every aspect to one that's now actually less valuable and less successful. So player acquisitions is always a risk, but when you're at the top, you kind of feel as if you don't need to take them risk quite so much. And I think that's kind of where they're at with it. Um, as in it, the last, as you say, they've improved everything they can. They've built up as much revenue as they can. And Mo might be able to help me on this, but I don't know if it's enough to invest and make them big money signings year on year. Um, I don't, I don't know. I've always been of the belief that once the um, stadium was completed and the training ground was completed, and um, I don't know so much about how much it, it was in loans and how much we'd have to pay back and what have you, the guys could maybe help me with that. But I was of the belief that once that was completed, our revenues were so good that there'd actually be m money made year on year that would just net go back into the squad. But maybe, you know, these figures that I was expecting, maybe 100, 150 million pound budget each summer uh, that we generated will go back into the squad. Maybe it's not that much. Maybe it's not that high. Maybe it's 40, 50 million. And, and ultimately, that isn't enough to continue to compete at this level. So maybe the guys can help me out with trying to understand the sort of figures we're discussing here when it comes to revenue. And, and potentially, if FSG was to stay, which is unlikely, what, what kind of money would they be generating and putting back into the squad? Most mm -hmm. we'll team. Yeah, so. <laughs> I mean, with, with discussions like this, it always, again, has to be balanced. And, you know, one of the things that FSG have also done is turn Liverpool Football Club from a stepping stone into a destination club. Mm. You know, we have been very good at retaining players when we developed them into world-class players you know that wasn't the case you know you go back to Luis Suarez uh, Torres you know they would come in they'd use the club to elevate their status and then they'd move on Jabby Alonso another one um, in recent years that has stopped happening by and large so players will stay and they will intend to stay and achieve success and part of the reason for that is because we pay them well now you might hear oh but our top earners are only on 200,000 a week. But what isn't really covered by our people who are talking about this stuff is that Liverpool have a very heavily incentivized um, model in place. So the more success you have, the more goals you score, the more you win, the more you'll get paid. Yeah. And that is why our overall wage bill is almost on par or about on par with the leading clubs in this country. You know, United, your Chelsea's, your cities. And I say city um, official wage bill. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, look, you know, they, they have done a fantastic job of bringing up that kind of position so we can pay, you know, top whack for, for the best players. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are finite resources available. You know, we are not in the position of a city who, um, how can I put it, without getting sued? Um, ha have very creative or more, ways. or more importantly, my channel being uh, demonetized. Yeah, let's get it right. What if I say it, Chris? They can't cancel me, I'm not anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> they, they've got interesting ways of generating revenue, and we their revenue uh figures for last season were reported this week uh, 600 million plus. 309 million of commercial revenue, which is that they, they have unbelievable commercial people, clearly, 
um, working at all sorts of deals. Um, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> um, the hot dogs at the Etihad must be well expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're clearly doing something right. We, we can certainly learn from them, I suppose. But yeah, look, uh, in answer to the question, what does that mean for how much money is available to spend in terms of recruitment? So, again, I've done a bit of analysis. Um, I put out a thread. I mean, it upset some people. Um, and I said, look, you know, in terms of overall re revenue, um, over the seasons after 2018, uh, we'd only spent 2% purely on transfer fees. Um, but, you know, we do spend over 60% on the wage bill. There are other costs as well, such as signing on bonuses, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the long and short of it is we have not been spending as much as other clubs when it comes to recruitment, when you look at it in terms of money being spent versus the money we get for player sales. And part of the issue with that is that we've not been very good in the last several years, certainly after the fill sale from early 2018, which is nearly five years ago, we've not been very good at selling players um, for, for top whack. You know, that, that again is a fact. You know, we've only sold one player for more than 25 million after Felipe Coutinho nearly five years ago, which was Sadio Mane in the summer. And yet you've got other clubs, um, even City, you know, they, they've been selling like Torres, Ferran Torres nearly a year ago went for 50, 60 million pounds. Um, so we need to get a bit better at that. And if we do, then that will help generate more money um, to invest back into the squad. So again, if FSG stay, then they need to improve on that and certainly get away from letting so many players leave on freeze. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, we, we can certainly improve on that if FSG mm. stay. Two things I would bring up about that. One, in terms of why or the reasons behind the lack of expenditure, I think we had a different method of trying to get through COVID than everybody else. We were very much like, okay, we're just going to hold. We're not going to do anything. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know how quickly it's going to come back and if it's going to click back in. And they were very risk averse, where other people were a bit like, we are still big clubs. We are obviously going to get back football eventually. We are going to find ways of regenerating money. We're safe to spend. And that period of time, while it might not have been big, while they were kind of sitting on the hands, the knock-on effect is that what it meant is that that point of regeneration in the team wasn't happened. And so now we get into a sense where decisions that should have been made then time-wise weren't being made for other reasons. And we kind of kind of catching our tail a little bit. Paying for that. Yeah, 100%. We are paying for that now. And again, it's one of those where you can see how they got into that world, but it hasn't helped. The other thing about the selling of players is that we, we unlike Manchester City, we, we don't sell players who we still want. <laughs> like, but that's the thing. It's easier to sell guys who are good, but we're like, no, the good guys, we want to keep them. And for the most part, whether that's always been wise, again, talking about knowing the right time to get rid of a player is one of the key things about every great manager. And it's something that is probably one of the biggest questions that Klopp still has to answer, I think. Agreed. For me so well. we were happy to get 15 million for Jordan Ive and 10 million for Brad Smith and the players who were never going to play and still get a decent chunk, but we were never going to get the big chunks. And you look at the squad we've got at the moment and you think about who would be saleable assets, people who you think the club could still survive without, 
but we'll still get a fee for. And to be honest, most of them are really, really running out of contract right now. So that doesn't make that any easier either. So you look at all of those factors in and you think the normal ways of um, generating fans of fees, i.e. selling players for big money, not really there at the moment. Uh, whether that the other one would normally be, as you say, invest putting money in themselves, and we've seen that they aren't necessarily going to do that. So it's interesting. I think the way that we've seen them spend money, when we look at the wage bill, it's like you have to earn that money. So they're not going to give you high wages just for saying, "Hey, welcome to Liverpool. You're going to get high wages." It's like no, you get high wages for being successful. Like a big part of the whole FSG blueprint is that our success and the team's success don't have to be at loggerheads. We can all eat together. And to a certain extent, that has been the case. But when you're trying to go, when when you're trying to compete with people who are willing to go to further extremes and are then being successful, you have to look at your processes and think, can we do things differently? And maybe that's just what this whole thing is. I, I'm 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 of the agreement that I think that's what it is, Kev, isn't it? Um, you know, you started off this question and this segment, and I think by the time it's come round to you, what's your assessment and and sort of conclusion from it? Because it does seem to me, by listening to these informed guys, that it has come to a point where they have to invest or find ways of finding an investment. And that's literally what they're doing right now. Finding ways of investment, either by a full sale or huge investment. What do you think happens now? Well, the one thing that's quite interesting is that for all of the growth off the pitch and these massive you know, increases in revenues that we're now getting, you still have to get everything so right to, 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 to even compete. To, to even compete, compete not yeah. win to compete exactly yeah and i would argue in football if you are competing then that's success because to win is the fine bit of luck and it's still blokes kicking a ball out on a pitch at the end of the day um so you build a team to compete not necessarily to win right but anyway um the, the i suppose the thing is if what i take away from that is if we don't sort out our player sales and try and generate some money in the club in that respect that yes we're going to make some money of course we are because we've got a bigger stadium tv deals sponsorships have all improved over the years and whatever but it still might not be enough and, and that's quite alarming really and and alarming but at the same time not quite surprising Comparing what you're up against, I guess. Um, but the, the sad thing is, and, and this is probably where it, it brings us to at this point in time, is is that holding on to our best players is also, whilst been detrimental to us financially and being able to reinvest, it's also been a major part of our success in in the team and what they've been able to achieve. And I think it just goes to show that you can't have everything. You know, we 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 either got it really right with selling and bringing players in and our recruitment and was bang on and, and the freshness in the squad was there and we were still able to compete. That would have been an ideal situation. But actually, Jurgen Klopp, I think the way he likes to work is he kept hold of the players that he could trust. He built a core group of players. He played a certain style of system that they all understood, and that gave us success. The downside is, is it means you couldn't lose them components to make money. And we're probably at a point in time where them components now 
have dropped in value and they're now not um, working on the pitch as we'd quite like to be able to compete. And to get us back to a point where we have valuable assets and we have um, players on a pitch that can get us back to challenging, we're going to have to invest. And like I say, it's now big money, which is why they've been smart in using the terminology of getting new investors in is because it's that injection of money. You're going to have to give something away for it, but you're going to get that injection of money to solve what is one problem, and that's players on the pitch and refreshing that squad. Um, but again, they've got to learn from their mistakes if they are to continue, and maybe not even FSG. If a new ownership comes on board and believes they can continue to run the system as it's been running, you know, with a few tweaks, they've got to also learn from their mistakes that's brought us to this point in time. So I think... A part of the reason that I've loved watching Liverpool over the past few years is because we've seemingly been do, been successful, but also been doing it in the right way, you know, and building everything off the pitch and building a team and players that haven't just turned, you know, come in the door and gone out the door. Actually, you've grown to love these players. And that's part of, you know, why we like this club and this team and this manager so much. But also at some point in time, it becomes your... Uh, it becomes your Achilles heel. So it's sad that you can't have this perfect, you know, system and team and, you know, be successful at some point, all good things must come to an end. And, and I think this end, along with the opportunities that, that Mo's mentioned earlier for FSG has kind of come at a, a point in time. And sometimes in life and in business, all your eggs line up, don't they? And I think that's kind of where FSG are. They, they realise that they need investment in the squad to compete on and off the pitch and sustain that, not necessarily growth of where they're at at the moment, but then also the opportunities that are coming from other fields and other sports in particular are coming at this moment in time as well. So I think maybe a sale might happen just because all the, all the, um, the parts of the jigsaw puzzle are falling together for them. I think they are, and I think you know it's 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 very evident, and it's it's, it's interesting because we've heard three or four minors or four different opinions, but we've all kind of aligned at the end of it that it does seem like um, what terminology? What 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 example did you give? The isn't it ducks have lined up and like isn't it something to do with ducks? I said eggs, but you know it. You know, just go along. Ducks, with it, eggs. Go, go I, along I, with it. I, I get the link. Ducks and eggs. I get the link. <laughs> Um, just a couple of super chats I want to get through and, and maybe we can finally just end up and try to speak on the super chats because, of course, I appreciate the support. Um, Sosito, shout out to my friend Sosito, uh, season ticket holder at Liverpool, um, says, would you rather have a... Mm, I'm going to say it slowly. <laughs> <laughs> it's your friend, Grizz. You should know what he means. Yeah, no, but why, why he done that on purpose? Okay, you read it out. Meritocratic. Meritocratic <laughs> version. Because I was going to say meteoric. When I first saw it, I thought it was a meteoric rise. But anyway, I don't know why. But anyway, meritocratic version of this European Super League, which is relevant. We're going to talk about that as well very briefly. And FSG remain, or an unknown owner with plenty of dollars, but possibly lacking a moral compass. Mighty Mo. Um, well, I mean, the meritocratic, Meritocratic. Uh -huh, very it's very yeah. important because that's essentially football as football, as in the best teams get survive. You aren't surviving or thriving or being successful for any other reasons other than your players on the pitch were better than the other players. 
that part is crucial. So, I mean, in these two hypothetical scenarios where these are the only two options, I'm probably going with that one. Um, obviously, that might have a knock-on effect on the rest of football lower down the pyramid. That would have to be secured in a way that it literally just doesn't kill everybody off. But, I mean, <laughs> the unknown part of the unknown owner and the possibly lacking of a moral compass, those are two very, very big words and lots of space in between for bad things to happen. So, yeah, I'm going with the meritocratic Super League. Um, good answer, I think. Uh, Dinesh Karai says, uh, what's this name? Dinesh Karai, who said, Kohli is done, he is the king. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually his... Yes, no. Like, well, any comment on that first, MOC? Like, I, right. <laughs> All I would say is Virat Kohli has been very good in that tournament. He's re-energised himself. He's back, oh. but unfortunately not enough. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but that's an interesting name. Uh, evening, I think FSG did when they came in. They sacked Roy Hodgson and got so Kenny Dalglish as manager. That has everyone from from fans to working staff as one man Schneider and have not. Um, Al Tahab says, "I hope Balima is a potential buyer. Passion and all fans will be content with him. Time to reunite the fans. Hold that thought, uh, Mosi." Um, uh, is buying an ex uh, five Jamrocks is buying an expensive player that doesn't work out poorly and takes you two to three years to figure out it's not going to work the same as not buying for one. Mm -hmm. Interesting points galore. Obviously, um, look, it's about uniting the fan base. Is is there a, is there a, a potential buyer out there that totally reunites this fan base? Mosi. Oh. They might or as, as, as Jürgen Klopp calls the player the, the golden cow. <laughs> the example, yeah, the, you know, he calls the, the, the perfect player the golden cow. Is there a golden cow in terms of an owner? No, no, there isn't. There you go. Um, you know, no, no matter who you can point to, you know, in terms of the ultra wealthy you can afford, whether it's three billion, four billion, whatever, um, there'll be something about them that people will not like. You know, you can look at even... You know, Barmer that was mentioned, you know, he's Microsoft, but then people say, okay, but look at certain aspects of Microsoft and how they develop their business and their model. And, um, you know, there'll be certain things that people would not like about how Microsoft operated and whatnot. I mean, it's not the same as chopping people's heads off necessarily, but, um, you know, there are still th things about how he's acquired his wealth that people find objectionable. You know, you won't find somebody that is 100% squeaky clean. Even FSG. Now, here's the thing. FSG took over Liverpool Football Club in 2010. The second biggest shareholder was the New York Times. The New York Times was one of the biggest um, factors behind spreading mistruths about um, a situation that ultimately led to the Iraq War nearly 20 years ago. And they apologised for that. And they admitted, they held their hands up that they spread misinformation which led to a war. So you can argue that the second biggest shareholder of Liverpool Football Club at the time at which it was acquired had blood on their hands of hundreds of thousands of innocent Iraqi people. So, you know, we can all get into these games about, well, this one's like this, this one's like that. But ultimately, you know, it's all about ensuring that 
we have owners that are going to run the club in a stable way, in a sustainable way, um, and ideally ones that you know don't have um, views or positions about things which are unpalatable. But ultimately, the question that has been asked this week amongst fans is, well, if a group came in that did take over, what would we do as fans? Would we just stop supporting the club? I don't think so. For, for me personally, owners don't define a not, not, not the be-all and end-all of a football club, and especially Liverpool Football Club. You know, this is a club that is about its fans and about its culture more than most clubs. And, and that's not me trying to sound pretentious about the club that I love. But, you know, there, there is something genuinely special about this club. And no matter who come in as owners, and, and forget even FSG, this club is defined by the fan base, about its history, um, about its unique atmosphere in Anfield. And, you know, even if we get owners that, you know, we, we may fundamentally have real, real problems with in terms of where they stand on certain things, you know, that they won't be the club. They won't define the club. Yeah. Uh, and so, yes, you can at the same time love your club, but still even despise your owners. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that, that's exactly the quandary that you, uh, Newcastle United fans find themselves in. So, if, you know, for fans to say, well, I'll just abandon the club, I, I personally couldn't do that. I couldn't do that. So Some will, and I think more of the older generation will just feel like, you know what, this is the final straw for me in, in a long line of football changing to how we know it. I get that. But you're right, Mo, this is a club. Well, that's and... not only in football, though, Mo. That's no, not only in football. It's not. It's not. That's in just general life, it's society, in life. Yeah. On, in every aspect. 100%. But this club has got a history of not allowing uh, bad things to just sit on our shoulders. We fight back. And there have been plenty of times under FSG's tenure where we fought against things that a lot of people have considered trivial, like the trademark of the name or the £77 ticket price. As other fans might have thought, well, what are they complaining about? You're still winning. That's not important. It is important because we see it aligning with the values of the club. And so if we're going to fight about those trivial things, if someone came in and was potentially putting real harm on our name, then you bet we're going to fight. And it might be ugly and it might go back to some of the, the real, real tough times that there were in the Hicks and Gillette. Because I remember it was that the atmosphere wasn't great in terms of everybody was tense all the time. There was a lot of yeah. anger around. And that meant that if they weren't doing well on the pitch, which, by the way, we absolutely weren't, then that makes it even worse. It magnifies it. So there is a potential world where all of that comes in and it becomes stressful and it becomes difficult, but difficult is not giving up. And essentially, like, Mo's right, they don't define us. And you, no one who owns a club defines us. I mean, like, we were here first, damn it. We're going to let them send us They're the away. temporary custodians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't... I, I think we can't rule out the idea that we will get owners who we don't want for those reasons. But I don't think that's the end of the story if we do. Um, Cav, I'm going to mm. let you have the final say on a couple of things. But before we go any further, Ash says, <laughs> Mo, blink twice if you know who's bid for us. <laughs> Amazing. Probably the best super chat of the night. Like, you can imagine both Mo's going like that, like, not blinking. Like, 
Can you imagine the scene? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, did two eyebrows. What does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> oh, wait. I got, I got, yeah, I can do it with my ears or eyebrows. I've sent the signals out all over the world. <laughs> but it's, it's, it look, I think, I think, I think the next couple of months is, is my God, interesting. Cav, we, we spoke about it earlier in the week when the news broke. It, it's a feeling of nervousness, excitement, apprehension, fear, everything all rolled into one. Um, how would you just sum it up right now in terms of how are you feeling now then in, 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 the, in the next coming months? Because it does seem like it's gearing towards a parting of the ways. Yeah, yeah. I think um, the statement suggests or says it's investment Jurgen Klopp and Linders have reiterated that of course they are they're not going to move away from what's already been said they're just going to reaffirm that aren't they and um, and not put themselves into into any particular risk that personally um but I think it's pretty clear that it, it's actually bigger than that and it's a full sale um I am I am a bit worried I'll be honest as to who takes us over because mm -hmm. um I don't want somebody to come in and see this really well-oiled machine and feel like they can start milking it, if I'm being honest. I don't know how they would do that. I don't know, you know, how they would do that successfully, sorry. But I don't want owners much like some um, fans have got in, in, you know, rival teams in this league where money's being pulled out of the club. That that would personally really, really upset me if we started to see that happen. Um but at the same time, there's the, and what we've touched upon, the chance that we're bought out by people with a lot of money and questionable um, other things that you can question about them, sorry. Uh, and, and they pump money into the squad and you start to get all these amazing players and you start winning things. But th this is the other thing, and I said this to you, right, Chris? Pumping money in, okay, doesn't necessarily mean we're going to win things. We've got more chance, but it actually just put us, us at a level playing field as some of the other big hitters in this league, I believe. You know, the key to it is, is having a manager and a style of play and a system to get the right acquisitions. That's what gives you the edge, right? But if we go out and start signing all these top, top stars, well, we'll probably still be competing with Man City in the league. You know, we'll still be getting high 90s and whoever wins it, it will flip-flop year on year probably. You know, there's no guarantee you know, and then expectations change when you've got all these major stars. Suddenly, if you start finishing second, losing by a point, it's not just, oh, well, credit to you. You did it in the right way. And we're really proud of our team. It's like it's no, a revolving sorry. door with players, with coaches, you yeah. know, like we've seen at some exactly. of the clubs that you're mentioning in terms of that haven't have a have a ritual almost of spending yeah. revolving doors. You know, we've become a total different club. Yeah, I, I'd suggest and 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 that will be life beyond Klopp as well, because the new yeah. owners coming in, the likelihood is they will outlast Klopp, you know. And then what manager do you get in? We might get someone. Imagine if we got, I don't think it would happen, but as an example, we've got a Simeone in. And then suddenly we've got these players that are coming in year on year. Suddenly our team with these new owners looks very different to what we have now, you know. And then suddenly expectations risen because we've got all these stars with maybe big egos. And you start to look at the team a whole lot differently. Um, so there's a lot of things that can change in it. And a lot of that's what I'm really worried about. I don't want to turn into a team that loses its its DNA, its identity, you know, and we have these big egos rolling around. 
and they're brought in because we think that they're going to guarantee success, but they don't, you know, and suddenly people start becoming or thinking they're bigger than the club. And that's not the image that I, I particularly like or resonate with. I, part of the reason I love this club so much and this current crop of players is because they all seem really humble and down to earth and buy into the plan. And no one really comes out and does, you know, stuff that really upsets you in newspaper articles or outside of the club and, and this and that. There's the odd thing that might wind up fans, but there's not there's not big egos in it as such. But um, I, I'm, I'm just... I, I, I feel a bit conflicted in my emotions towards it, to be honest. I don't really know what to think. It could be really exciting times. It could be really upsetting until, not even until we're taken over, until we've actually lived the experience under that new owner. I really don't know what we're in for. So I, it's just, you just roll with the with the information you're given at the moment. Um, yeah, I, I'm a bit I'm a bit torn, if I'm being completely honest. And that makes it difficult to sort of, when you listen to other fans that are really one-sided, it's a bit like, yeah. I, I can't get on that side with you because me personally, I just don't know where I'm at, you know? Yeah, I think I think you're pretty much, I think, I mean, you speak, I think I share that sentiment. Uh, very finally, guys, uh, do you have any different sentiments or do you share that sort of nervousness, excitement? Is there a, one, one, one adjective that you'd particularly use to describe how you feel in the up and coming months? Tale of two moles. If if you could choose one, make it real hard. Intrigued. Intrigued. Because as Kav says, we don't know what the next steps are. Because it's not just down to FSG and what they do. It's down to what other people do, who comes into the spotlight or puts themselves in the spotlight from there. But um, yeah, I think... Where we are in the moment, we can't really, we can't really, like you say, go too hard either way. We need to just see how this develops. But it's something that's definitely put us all on notice. It certainly mm. put all of these thoughts back to the forefront of our mind. And it was something we were going to have to deal with at some point. Yeah. But we might as well deal with it now. Mosi. Another word for you, Grace. Uh, pensive. <laughs> okay, that's not too bad. Pensive. Only two syllables. Yeah. <laughs> Mo, Mo, can you can you can you describe that for the simple people when understand? <laughs> 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 yeah, I'll try. And um, so, yeah, it, it's where you know you're kind of thinking deeply about something. There you um, go. Yeah. Um, because look, it's like. There's, like I said before, we're debating about, well, what would we do if this happened? What would we do as a fan if that happened? How would and we... And as Cap says, we don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it, it's speculation at the, at the moment. But one thing is for sure, uh, and this is, go, goes for all fans, whatever the outcome, even if FSG stay, we all want what's best for the Liverpool Football Club. Um, you know, we may have very different views about what the best thing for Liverpool Football Club it is. is. But we all want... The same thing ultimately, and that that's for this club um, to 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 be the best, to be as successful as possible. And some people may think that is best achieved through the current ownership. Others may think it's achieved best through a completely different type of ownership. Um, but you know, let's not lose sight of the fact. And above all else, you know, it's always about what happens on the pitch. And yeah, you know, some fans get so preoccupied. Um, and, and my, you know, account on Twitter is focused obviously more on what goes on off the pitch. 
But I always say that it's what goes on on the pitch that is always what should matter most. And, you know, we, we still have an interesting season. Yeah, we've started poorly, but look, you know, there's still plenty to play for. And, you know, I still have faith in Jürgen. I still have faith in these players that they'll turn it around. And after this break that's coming up, you know, after Christmas, you know, I, I think we're going to turn it on. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. Kieran says, put a time frame on it. When do you think the takeover? He's already, Kieran's already <laughs> decided there's a completely, he goes, shut your mouths, all of you. Right. When's the takeover happening? Put a time frame on it. He's going December the 22nd. Um, I'll be very surprised if it's not until at least after the verdict in the in the European Court of Law with regards to the Super League decision being still being made, isn't it? Um, I believe uh, they give an initial verdict around the World Cup final time. Um, I would be very surprised if because I think that will be a massive, massive, I think that will be a massive uh, factor in the valuation, people. Um, um, well, it, it won't be the 22nd, because we'll probably be playing in the League Cup against Man United on the 22nd. So yeah, it won't be exactly, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I think, I think that will be an absolute factor in the valuation, guys. Super mm. League, no Super League suddenly changes. Well, no Super League doesn't change the value of the club, but sort of if, and it's a massive, huge if, the Super League is allowed to take place or goes ahead. Is, or is it, very quickly, well, is no. it a massive if? No, no, no. So that, that case is actually about whether UEFA um, can effectively um, operate the Champions League whilst also being the, uh, the governing body as well. And if the favour rules, sorry, if the decision rules in favour of um, the clubs that are basically putting this to the courts and saying, look, we think it's unfair, then it can potentially pave the way to a Super League. But there's so much to go through, not least changing public perception about the concept, that it would take years and years um, okay. to get to. And I, I think that's why... It could make a difference to the valuation, um, but I, I think... That not, not, a not a defining factor, right, you'd say, right? No, it, 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 just to be clear, it's not a court case to say the F, uh, that the Super League can go ahead. It, it's not that at all. Right. It's basically just to challenge um, the current system in place, which allows UEFA to be the governing body, but also the organiser for the biggest tournament in Europe. Interesting. Mm. Guys... I'm just going to wrap it up. We can talk forever and ever, as you guys can tell. Uh, we've tried to cover as much as possible. I promise these guys an hour. We've gone 20 minutes over. Really, really appreciate time. Uh, Tale of Two Moles, it's been a magnificent. You've told us some, not tales, but it's been, so, so, it's been very insightful. And me and Cav are very, very uh, thankful for giving us your time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Cav, no anything else to add, mate? No, we've learned, just, we've, learned, we've learned a lot today, son. We learned a lot today, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm here for. I'm always about absolutely, absolutely. yeah. No, just, just thanks to the guys again. They, they've generally told me and, and yourself and everybody in the chat some things that um, I didn't know, and it, and it helps clarify some of the things that I was speculating in my own head. So I'm grateful for that. So, yeah, thank you. And it's uh, it's been a good show, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, on. it's been a fantastic show, people. There's been 
500, 500 of you, give and take, 2015 of you that have been in the stream nonstop. Like the stream if you haven't. Um, it's odd that you've stayed with us all this time and you haven't liked the stream. Like, it doesn't make sense. I always say that. Like, you, you're just listening to us and enjoying it. Otherwise, you would have sodded off a long time ago and you haven't liked it. Come on. Um, like the stream. Uh, hope you've enjoyed the show. We will be back to footballing matters Southampton. Southampton, Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. 3 p.m. kickoff? Oh, God. We've just so not been good with this routine wins. But let's hope the mighty Reds can get a routine three points on Saturday. Hopefully that will mean three wins in a row this season, right? First time this season where we put three wins together in a row. Um, or does the League Cup not count? Does the League Cup yeah, penalties count? Stage, yeah. Oh, yeah, it counts. Yeah, okay. It counts. It I counts. was there. Trust me. Liverpool won. All right. <laughs> wow. That was, what I, I mean, look, listen, League Cup defence has started. The Kelleher Cup, I'm, I'm saying, we go for a break. Whatever happens off the pitch, we have absolute zero control over. And as the and as everyone else said, we're not going to stop supporting. Or we may, but, uh, you know, I certainly won't stop supporting these Reds. And that's all we can do as fans. Keep supporting the team on the pitch. That's all we can do. And, of course, use our platforms to speak about matters off the pitch. Each and, each and everyone is, uh, has their opinion and then they feel free to give it. But hopefully we've given our opinion. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Please like the stream when you're out. This has been a pre-match carnage, pre-match takeover. Call it what you want. Special. Over and out. Take care. Podcast Network.